following presentation was recorded live by the Jewish Ethics Institute. First of all, two things. I want to thank David Sides for hosting Week In and Week Out. Um, he actually gave, he gave us the idea of connecting. I was running out of topics like two years ago. David said we should connect it to the partial week. So we actually been doing it for almost two years now. So I've, we're missing around 10 partial topics. So we're going to try to fill in those last 10 and then David's uh, going to publish my book, <laughs> Business Ethics on the Parsha. So I'd like to thank him. Um, it's short. Yossi's, <laughs> you know, sanitized uh, remarks. Once I go through for political correctness, please give me a short book. So, um, but you, um, this was a topic someone asked me about a number of years ago. I'm not going to say who. Um, someone who they have, they give out drinks in their office. Like people, you know, many offices have like drinks, refrigerators. People can take sodas. So someone said, you need to give a class on. He said at his office sometimes people. He has free drinks, but it's made for the employees. When the employees are leaving for the day, they grab a Coke mm -hmm. on the way home, one for the road. And it was bothering him a lot. So he so he asked me about that. So there but this is obviously it's a very common thing in many offices where people employees um, rationalize and using and taking things from the office. Um, either because they feel like they're underpaid or or because it's free, whatever the reason is. Um, but many times you rationalize and it's only little and it's little things. It's uh, whether it's pen, sometimes paper clips. Um, now we're not talking about people who are offering big things from the office. Even little things like we're saying, you know, you take a soda home, you take whatever it is, you take one home for your kids. So uh, I found this interesting, if you look on the front here, there's a chart. I'll show you a disconnect with this with Russia. I'll show you in a second. But uh, there's a chart that said that basically 100% of office workers admitted to stealing pens. Okay, 100% in this in this uh, uh, poll that we did. So it wasn't. It's not like uh, some people yes, some people not. Um, so um, staplers, not. So here on the bottom it says, which uh, are the following office supplies have gone missing from your office? I'm assuming they're talking to the employers there. So 70% pens, I can't read it so well, 55% pencils, 55% markers, 43% paper clips. How are you? What else we got there? Look, that's 18% rubber bands, that's pretty bad if people stay in rubber bands. <laughs> Staplers, they're huge. Staplers, staplers, yeah. That's a real thing. That's only 35%. Um, so th and then they pulled people why they stole things. So 50% stole a pen because it writes smoothly or effortlessly. <laughs> okay. Better pens at yeah. home. 36% mm -hmm. um, stole a pen because they liked the way it looks. 34% committed pen theft because they liked the color. Okay. So, um... So again, it sounds like, you know, sometimes, and many employers, I think, uh, I've heard this from boys, they'll rationalize, they'll say, listen, it's not a big thing, it's a pen, they read it, it's not worth making a big deal about. It. They say, let the employee do it, if it makes them happy, you know, they're not going to make a big deal of it. But uh, so the question is, 
is 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 and what I'm going to focus on today. The, the um, in Jewish law, as we'll see, it discusses this extensively. Is there a threshold for stealing? Meaning, do you say that there's a certain level of stealing? Below that level, it's not considered theft. Okay, um, and it's actually the concept is discussed in this week's Torah portion. As we know, we started uh, the holidays and we started the cycle again. So if you're on the annual cycle of reading the Torah, so we just started Genesis, started from the beginning. Again, Bereshi was this past week's Parsha and this How coming week. How come we week, don't start with Genesis at Rosh Hashanah in the New Year? Because the holidays have their own special reading. We right, really are starting it, just finish the holiday readings and then we start. Oh. But the holidays have their own special oh. That's right. So. So this coming week's portion is known as Parsha Noach, and it's ten, ten generations later, and it's when the world was created, uh, sorry, ten generations after creation, um, with the famous story of Noah and the flood. So the question is why, um, why God um, seemed to attempt to make a flood to destroy the world? So the answer, God himself says in the Parsha, there, there are many things discussed, but it begins, the, the parasha begins, if we're on the beginning, the inside cover here. That one says, Ela, I'm going to read the Hebrew and translate, Ela told of Noah, the, the parasha begins, famous verse, these are the generations of Noah. Noah, ish sadik Noah was a righteous man, he was perfect in his generations. And then it says, Noah, Noah walked with God. So a lot of discussion, this is just parenthetical as a side point, since we started from the beginning. Um, as to what, is it, what does it mean Noah was righteous in his generation? The Talmud says, has two opinions, whether it means, it's a, is it saying it as a praise for Noah, or is it saying he was good in his generation? If he would have been in a different generation, he wouldn't have been so great. Mm-hmm. Meaning, uh, I always say by myself, you know, I came to Houston, and I became a big rabbi in Houston. You know, in Houston it's easy to be a, that's a, you know, it's easy to be a rabbi. It's, if you live in New York, that's where it's tough yeah. being a rabbi. You got uh, you know, a lot of rabbis. Houston, not that there's plenty of rabbis in Houston too, but you know when when uh, you're in a city where there's little uh, Jewish things, so it's a lot easier to be, you know, a big uh, feel good about yourself, right? If you're in a you know if you're living in Jerusalem and you're a rabbi, you just one in a hundred thousand, right? So so the same the question here is Talmud has this discussion about Noah. Was what does the Torah mean when it says he was he was a righteous man, perfect in his generation? Does it mean specifically in his generation? Meaning, but, but according to one opinion of Talmud, if he would have been the generation of Abraham, he wouldn't have been, he would have been considered evil. Just relative, everything is relative. So compared to the rest of the people in his generation, he was good. Okay, but, but, he, but he wasn't such a great guy. He was the best, you know, the best of the worst, as we say. Right? As opposed to the other way, doesn't say no. It's even in his generation, where the generation was terrible, he still stood out as a righteous person. There's two ways to read, to understand the, the concept, right? Um, so, you know, today we say in ethics, um, especially business ethics, you live in a generation where, uh, you know, if you, if you keep some level of, uh, any level of morality this generation, you're already, wow, the guy's amazing. Yeah. You become Mother Teresa, right? So it's similar to this, uh, to this concept here. Noah, in his generation, again, according to that opinion, he was, he was righteous. He was perfect. Um, so the, the verses continue. Vayoled Noach Shloshabanim. Noach gave birth to three sons, Shem, Ham, and, and Yafet. It actually says that he, he, he uh, at this point, I believe, he was 900 years old, according to the Torah. 
um, when the flood started. 600, sorry, 600. If you remember the famous Bill Cosby tape. Uh, Noah was 600 years old um, when the flood began. So it says that he actually held off having children because generations were so bad. He didn't want to have children in, in, uh, in that immoral society. Mm. At this point, he, I don't know what happened, but he gave in. So it says the end, so plus it continues. Now the earth was corrupt before God, and the earth became full of robbery. Okay, so it mentions two things, corruptness and robbery. And then it goes on to say God felt fit to destroy, because it had become corrupted, to destroy the earth. Okay, um, so the question is meaning, there's two, two aspects here. There are a number of things that Talmud discusses as to what it means corrupt, but one thing is clear, the Torah says very clearly that there was robbery, that robbery was one of the theft, was one of the causes for the flood, that God wanted to destroy the world, specifically for that reason. At least, it says, the Talmud says, that was the straw that broke the camel back, the camel back. For many things, as it says, it was corrupt, and corrupt includes many other things. It says, uh, licentiousness, there was uh, many sexual immorality. But the, the straw that broke the camel, camel's back was what the Torah calls Fatimale Haaretz Hamas. Interestingly enough, when I put it down here, the word Hamas, we're familiar with it as the name of a terrorist organization, but in the Torah, in Hebrew, the word actually means uh, thievery, robbery. Okay, so it's Imagine actually, that, they call, huh? they call, I don't know why they chose that name for themselves. I don't know what it means in Arabic, but in Hebrew, the word Hamas, um, in the Torah at least, means uh, robbery. Okay. So, so again, so the Torah is saying very clearly that the purpose, the, 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 the actual cause of the flood at the end of the day was thievery. And now what does that mean? Um, stealing, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty bad sin, as we know, as we discussed um, a few weeks back, that stealing, um, thievery is, is worse than most other sins in the sense of you steal someone, I put that down here in number six on the sheet, and what we said from Maimonides, it's, it's worse because it's a sin between man and man. There's two parts, um, as we discussed before in Kippur, there's sin between man and God, which is bad, but, you know, God can handle it. When you hurt a fellow human being, that's a much, in a certain sense, that's a much worse sin. Um, because, and as the Ramam says in number six here, Shuva Yom Kippur can't even account for that. You have to go and ask forgiveness. So there's two parts, as we're going to see. There's part of making good the fact that you sin, especially when it comes to money, to monetary sin. So if you stole money from someone, or you held back their wages, or whatever the case may be, you um, first thing is you have to repay the debt. We're going to talk about that. You need to pay up what um, what you stole. What you stole. Okay. So the first thing you have to do is pay your debt and appease the injured party. And then you have to get forgiveness, and then you can first come to God and get atonement. So clearly, when you when you steal from someone, it's a in a certain sense is a much worse sin than as opposed to let's say sexual immorality. If you, someone has an affair, they have an adulterous affair, so there's two consulting, consenting adults. They technically, obviously, if there's a husband involved, another party, or then they hurt someone maybe, but that wasn't their intention. The go, the sin is between two consenting adults. Okay, um, it might be the Torah might call it immoral, but there's nothing. You only, in a certain sense, violated God's word, as opposed to if you steal from someone, or if you withhold their wages, you, you harm the person, and besides the grievances that the person has against you, there's also the aspect of the monetary damage that was done. So in a certain sense, as we discussed um, before you, before uh, Rosh Hashanah and Kippur, that's a much more grievous sin than other sins. Um, but what's interesting is the fascinating, this is what I want to focus on to segue into our topic, 
sort of medrash, which is sort of uh, always explains the behind the scenes of the Torah, what exactly was happening, describes what thievery, that we weren't just discussing any type of thievery. Theft is theft. We know that's one of the it's a prohibitions in the Torah. I mean, that's a societal prohibition. You don't need the Torah to tell you that stealing is prohibited. Um, any, any moral society, as we know, will configure out of themselves. Obviously, you can't just go and take other people's belongings. The question is, when you, as we're discussing, when you take things which doesn't seem necessarily like any major theft. You, know, you take a paperclip, take a little thing, is that considered thievery or not? Um, and that, and we, as we mentioned many times in the past, Ten Commandments that says, thou shalt not steal, is actually not referring to stealing, at least according to the Talmud. The interpretation of the Ten Commandments is kidnapping, stealing bodies, um, stealing souls, human beings. Um, that's what one of the Ten Commandments says, thou shalt not steal. There are two other places the Torah does prohibit stealing, which regular monetary theft. Okay? And by the way, the, the, just as an introduction, there's also the Torah discusses two types of, of theft. There's what's called two terms are used throughout the Torah. One is a ganav, familiar with the term ganav, and there's gazlan. And the difference is, um, the difference between those two is one is, is I don't know what if they're sure the words for it in English. I'm not sure I know them. One is theft, meaning one is a, a thief who goes and holds up a bank, okay, a robber, so to speak. So that is one type of thievery, and then there's someone who sneaks into your house in the middle of the night. The Talmud says that the guy who sneaks into your house in the middle of the night, who does things but when people are not looking, is actually worse than the guy who comes and holds up the bank, as far as theologically concerned. The reason being because, you know, one guy, he comes to the bank, he's not scared of anyone, he's not hiding from anyone, he comes in with his gun, he, you know, he hands it out to the teller, he pulls out his gun, whatever it is, and, and everyone gets down on the floor, he's not scared of anyone. The guy who's sneaking into a house or, or sneaking out stuff from the office when no one's looking, so besides thievery, besides being a thief, he's also hide, thinks he's hiding from God. He thinks, oh, no one sees me. That means he's more, the, the theological problem with that is he's saying, I'm more scared of humans than God. The fact that God is watching or he doesn't believe God is watching doesn't bother me. I'm just scared of the boss seeing me. So in a, in a theological sense, that's a worse level of theft says the Talmud, a, some, than someone who holds up a bank. So it's worse um, when you pilfer things, you know, when no one's looking, steal things from the office, whatever the case may be, because in that sense you're saying, I'm only scared of man, not of God. So that's why, uh, again, theologically we view that as a worse sin. But the, the Medrash here, on this parsha, on this week's parsha, parsha Noach, says a fascinating thing. It says, what were they guilty of doing? So it discusses like this. It says, what were the habits of the generation of the flood? says the Medrash, number three, quote number three on the bottom of the page. It says, if a man brought to market a basket full of peas, I don't know why they pick up peas, he would soon be surrounded by a mob snatching them away. Each one cleverly took a small amount worse, worth less than a pruta. Pruta, as we're going to see, is a small, the lowest denomination of coin in the Roman period. Um, was known as a pruta. Um, I tried finding online what exactly it's worth, but we'll see. I don't know exactly the worth of it, but it's the lowest denomination. So each one would take just a few peas out of the guy's basket, right? But after a hundred people did that, the man's basket was soon empty. If the victim was unable to present the matter to a judge, couldn't there was no recourse because each culprit could claim they had stolen an amount so minute that he was not liable to be to punishment by law. Okay, so even when you have a concept of theft in society, there's a there's there's a threshold, a minimal, minimum amount, so to speak. If I'm passing your lawn and I 
pull a leaf off your tree, right, you're not going to call the police. In some depends, some might. But the point is, there's no, there's no, you can't really prosecute. I mean, maybe you can. I don't know the legalities, but no one's going to do that. It's not going to happen. There's not really recourse. Like, you know, pull a leaf off your tree. And now, if 100 people pass by your tree and each one pulls a leaf off, or even if I take an apple, right, or you have a fruit tree and I take one apple, no one's really going to process. It's not something that's prosecutable, so to speak. Okay. Um, but the problem here is when you have the, this guy comes to the market with his basket of peas and everyone takes five peas, so at the end of the day he's left with nothing. He lost his whole livelihood. Okay, so it says that was the sin of the generation of the flood. Not that they were stealing. Stealing is, is one thing. No, mo- most, even immoral societies have a concept of you don't steal. Okay, real stealing. The problem is when you're doing things which you believe, most people believe, you know, it's not really such a sin. Listen, I'm taking li- this little thing. And it's not, it's, there's no recourse, and, the, and it's not prosecutable, I don't know if that's a word. Um, so that is where, that was the immorality of the generation of the flood. So it's, it's an unbelievable concept, if you think about it. I mean, they, they were doing nothing more, I mean, they, again, they had other um, immoralities they were committing. But when it came to theft, the Medrash is saying their theft was the lowest level of theft. They were just, you know, taking little things out of the office, and that's what caused uh, the flood. Okay. Pretty scary statement. Okay, so that's the Medrash. Um, uh, so seemingly, it would seem that this is uh, prohibited, um, meaning taking even something which is below, less than a pruta, so to speak, what we call less than a pruta, lowest denomination. So let's say in, in, in our currency it would be a penny, okay, or even a nickel. So I'm stealing something that's worth less than a nickel. But it says that was the cause for the flood. The question is, um, again, this is a nice story in the Medrash and in the Torah, does that make it prohibited? Uh, meaning, today we have to know um, there are many laws of stealing. First of all, when it comes to repentance, also when it comes to, as we're going to talk about, when it comes to return. The Torah says, an explicit verse in the Torah, in Leviticus, um, which states that if you steal something, you're obligated to return the yeah, item. Obviously, once you came to your senses and, you, and you're ready to repent. So that before, again, before repentance, there's an obligation, not only a monetary obligation, it's a Torah obligation to God. It says actually you have to bring a, a sacrifice in those days, times in the temple, you'd return the, the item that was stolen. You have to repay the item, whether it's the item itself or the, or monet, the monetary value. That's a different question. Maybe we'll get to that. But but um, in any case, question is here, so is this legal or not? Meaning, is this illegal? Again, from the Torah perspective, stealing less than a penny, so to speak, less than a nickel. Um, or not, okay? Because um, there's no source, as we're going to see. The Torah itself, um, um, when it discusses the prohibition of you shall not steal, or no theft, in everything in the Torah, in any mitzvah in the Torah, there's a threshold to fulfill the mitzvah. Okay, that means, um, let's say, for example, yeah, there's a mitzvah to eat matzah on Pesach, right? The mitzvah to eat matzah at the Seder, the first night of Passover, so if you eat, uh, we spoke about this, I believe, in the past here, I eat a uh, crumb of matzah, I haven't fulfilled my obligation. When the Torah says eat matzah, we define eating. Eating means there's a threshold of what's called eating. After these past holidays, it's a, it's a very high threshold Jews have for eating. But the, what, the, the, what the Gemara says, the minimum of eating, or for example, pork. The Torah says don't eat pork. How much pork do I have to eat in order to violate the Torah's law? So let's say I, have a, you know, I go into McDonald's, I have just a you know a little little piece of pork and a little crumb you know from the table. Did I violate the Torah law or not? Says the Talmud, technically not. 
in order to be considered eating, anyway the Torah uses for, I'm just giving this as an example, the term eating, eating means it has to be at least the volume of an olive. Okay, it means in those days actually olives were bigger than today. So say. do I understand you just gave blessing to bacon bits, real Maybe. kind? Maybe, we'll discuss in a second. <laughs> Not yet, don't stop there. Awesome. That's good news. <laughs> so, so, but, so that's true. There is, so in everything in the Torah, there's a threshold. In every commandment, and according to most, in all, even in negative commandments, there's a threshold of what's considered a violation. Like we're saying, don't eat, don't eat eggs, um, right? Don't eat pork. So there's a threshold. If I eat less than the volume, as David's saying, technically speaking, I haven't violated um, the Torah law, it would seem. But the, the loophole, not the loophole, it's actually stringency in this case, not a loophole, is that meant there's an argument in the Talmud, does that mean less than the threshold is completely permitted, it's not prohibited, or it just means you don't get the punishment for it. It's technically illegal, it's still in violation, you just, uh, let's say, for example, whatever the punishment is for that specific prohibition, um, so you don't, uh, let's say it would be lashes, whatever it is. So they wouldn't meet out the punishment if it's less than the threshold, if you haven't met the requisite uh, threshold. Okay, so we, we rule according to the opinion, unfortunately, that says that it's all prohibited, even less than the threshold. It's just um, you don't get punished. Punishment, you, you don't prosecute on less than the threshold. So then you can, so even the bake it's so technically it's prohibited, it's just there's no, uh, no punishment. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I, just, I, just, I just interpret it. I don't, uh, I don't make up these rules. <laughs> okay, so now um, the question becomes so, so, so Maimonides seems to imply same thing with stealing. The Torah sells theft. So anything less than what we call a pruta, and again, the pruta, if you look at number four here, the pruta, um, I, I just found this on the internet, no idea what all this stuff means, but I couldn't find an, an amount um, and how to uh, interpret the pruta into cash value in our, in our uh, denominations. But it, just to give you an example, meaning the highest, this is again from the Roman period, so the highest uh, thing was one talent, which was 60 mina, um, which then translates down, all the way down to the sella, but the pruta are 24,000 sellers. So you can imagine it's a very low denomination um, of, uh, of a coin. It's a very low amount. And, and the Rambam and Talmud understands that anything less than that's the threshold of what's considered theft is the pruta. Okay, so that means anything below that, if someone steals below that, again, it's prohibited, seems like according to the Rambam, but there's no, you can't prosecute. And again, the, the difference we're going to see is you don't have to return it. You wouldn't have to return it maybe if you stole less than that amount. Now that's one way of looking at it. As we're going to see, the other way, the other reasoning might be it's not an issue of there's less, there's a minimum threshold in stealing, it's just the assumption is if people, certain things, people, you know, in, in Hebrew the term is makbid, I don't know how to translate that, they're, they're, they're um, they get upset about it, meaning the assumption is if I take, let's just, let's for a second take a paperclip, if I steal a paperclip from my office, my boss is okay with it, I don't have to ask permission, it's okay if I take him a paperclip, he'll, he'll forgive me for that, and therefore it's not stealing. Meaning, technically, 
there's no threshold for stealing. Stealing, even the minutest amount, would be considered stealing, but there's a certain threshold where it's a given that the person doesn't mind you taking it. Like we said, if I'm passing by someone's lawn, a rip off a leaf, the assumption is he doesn't mind. So we can make that assumption. So it's the same thing. So, so meaning, let's say taking a paper clip, according to this opinion, would be, you know, your average boss, you can assume, doesn't care about um, someone taking paper clips. Your average boss. And, um, okay, so... so um, um, so, so the question is again, is, as we're going to see, there's a big difference between these two opinions. Meaning, is the, again the question here is, is there a minimum threshold in theft? Um, but technically, it would, it would still be prohibited. As we're saying, everyone agrees it's prohibited. Question is, what the reason why um, less than a pruta we don't prosecute? And is it because you haven't stolen anything? Because the assumption is the person forgave you? Okay, that's one way to look at it. That. You know, stealing less than the minimum threshold, there's no, you know, person doesn't mind. Okay, or is the, or is it, we say no, person always minds, it's just less than this amount, we don't prosecute on. There's a minimum threshold for prosecution. Sort of like the, like we discussed with speeding, right? So it's understood, when you go six miles on the speed limit, no cop is going to stop you. Even though technically you're violating the law. Every judge will tell you you violated the law the second you go one mile, you know, you go 56 miles per hour. But they're not going to prosecute you for going 56 miles per hour. So that's the Ramam's, uh, seems the Ramam's view. The Chinuch's um, view is no, that the, the, we can prosecute you on anything. The assumption is the person forgives you for stealing such a minute amount. Those are the two ways to look at it. Um, so I, sk- I skipped number five here, which is important. So number five is, you know, is meaning what's the problem? Um, with what they were doing, meaning if we're saying it's such a minute amount, they were only so why, why is it so terrible? At the end of the day, why did God make a flood, destroy the world, just because they were stealing paper clips? Okay, right. So, so peas in this case. So that's what I put here. It says in aggregate they would destroy people's livelihood, as we said. None of them could be prosecuted in court. From so, you see from the the point is that the Talmud seems to deduce, or others seems to deduce from the story of the flood that we can deduce that there's a prohibition to do something which even though while not formally theft so technically it's not stealing as we're saying might not be considered stealing but um, it lends to a society that destroys other people's financial well-being so even if it's not quote unquote theft per se legally it can't be defined as theft like we're saying less than this minute amount Um, but but if it's the end of the day if you have everyone taking the guy's piece he can't make a living okay Right, if you, if you, uh, you know, I wonder if they've done studies, but let's say huge companies like Microsoft, whoever, every employee takes home, uh, you know, 50 paper clips a year, that's a heck of a lot of paper clips. I'm sure Microsoft's not going to get destroyed from it, but it's still, we're talking millions of dollars, meaning if you look at all the, all the stealing going on, and probably in these corporations, and little stealing, you know, how much uh, extra time they take on their coffee break. How much uh, time they're spending on, you know, on internet, uh, Facebook, right, on Facebook during work time, yeah. and how many pens and paper clips are being stolen at the end of the day? I'm sure, we're talking in the billions. All right. So, so, so again, so the question is, but still, legally, I might not be doing something wrong. Um, meaning, me, the one person. It's just as a society as a whole, if you add it up, so that's that becomes the question. Okay, so, so that's why I put down some examples, office paper clips. Um, another issue would be, and this is interesting, in, in Jewish law, they struggled to find intellectual property, 
is it considered theft or not? And obviously, in modern day law, um, we have we have rules about that. Um, but the question is in halacha. There's no the Torah doesn't prohibit anywhere. There's no concept of stealing intellectual property. So what, under what guide, you know, is it theft? Is it not theft? Technically, I'm not taking anything which is considered. I mean, obviously, it has monetary value, but I can't really. You know, if I just uh, download some software, where what am I stealing? There's nothing. You know, as I'm taking an idea. If I steal someone's idea, technically, I'm not stealing something. There's no, uh, I don't know what the word is, uh, legal term, has no paper value, per se. Okay, so, so one of the things they discuss is in the same concept, meaning if I steal your intellectual property, you're right, legally, it's not considered theft. But obviously, taking away your livelihood. Right? If, I, if I, you know, download someone's song off the internet, and now, if everyone's downloading the song, as we see today, so as a musician, there's no way you can't make a living. You're not going to be able to sell records anymore. You can't sell, uh, you can't sell anything. Because people are da- are stealing your thought, so to speak, your thoughts or your ideas for free. So again, that fits into this category of what they were doing in the flood. They legally they weren't stealing by the letter of the law, because they were stealing three Ps. But at the end of the day, this guy's losing his livelihood. So it's the same thing. We see this concept of taking away um, someone's uh, financial well-being, even though legally you're not stealing anything could be a problem, and um, this is what we're deducing from it. Same thing as if we once gave a class here on that many years ago, and piggybacking on Wi-Fi could be the same issue. Mm-hmm. Um, right? If technically I'm not stealing anything, if my neighbor's <coughs> Wi-Fi is not um, secured, I'm just latching onto his Wi-Fi, but so am I stealing something? I mean, he's, he's not paying more, no one's losing from me, you know, unless again, I'm using major bandwidth, so maybe he's losing something, but otherwise, if you're just looking, you know, downloading your email, someone else's Wi-Fi, technically you're not stealing, but it could be, again, fits onto this same category here of, um, as a society, we need to be careful what we do, even though legally they might not be considered stealing. Okay, so it's a very interesting concept. Um, so, so just again, Maimonides says very clearly that biblically, he states, it's prohibited to steal any amount. There's no threshold. Um, there is a threshold again for the punishment p- part of stealing, uh, but not for the not for. The, by the way, stealing in the Torah for punishment, um, there, we don't. There is no real punishment. We don't have the concept of jail. Um, let's say incarceration for stealing in the Torah as we do in Western society. The Torah says again, you have to compensate the person. The only thing the Torah does, and there's fines. That means we, there's financial fines. That means, for example, it says if someone denies stealing something, then he's caught. Um, is caught with the item, so he has to pay double. It's called kefal. Torah says he has to pay double the amount um, of what he stole. So that's a, it's a fine. Again, it's not incarceration. It's a monetary fine. It's to pay double of the principal of what he stole. If someone steals, the Torah discusses a sheep or a, or a goat, max. So there are times he has to pay up to four or five times the amount of the value of the thing he stole if he slaughtered it. Okay. So there's again, it's financial fines, but there's no concept of incarceration. But it's always prohibited. The question is, when are we going to? Um, when is there considered a punishment phase? When do we prosecute? Says the Rambam, only when you reach, when you steal more than a pruta. Okay. Now there seems to be a contradiction in the Talmud, in the Palestinian Talmud, using that word, the, the the Yerushalayim Talmud, Jerusalem Talmud. Um, so it says there like this, number eight, on the page. It says Reb Shimon ben Kahana was escorted was escorted by Revelyazer. Lazar. They passed the vineyard. Shimon said, bring me a splinter from the fence so he could use it as a toothpick. He just finished lunch. He needed a toothpick. 
and he asked the student to go take a little splinter off the fence. Um, and then the student started going to get the splinter and he retracted. He said, don't bring me anything. So the student asked him, why not? So he said, you know, really there's nothing wrong. Again, the person wouldn't mind, right? He'd take a little splinter off his wood fence. But if every individual passing by would take a splinter, then he's not going to have a fence left. Okay? So it seems like the question is, how does that fit with what we're saying? Meaning, it seems like it's really not prohibited. He just, you know, is it prohibited or is it not prohibited? Um, that's really the question here. So what they explain is, um, meaning, 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 because we just said, my manly says, it's biblically prohibited to steal any amount. So then what was the mistake of this rabbi, Rabbi, rabbi Shimon, who was saying initially he sent the student to do it. The only reason he retracted, told the student not to do it at the end, was because he said, listen, if everyone comes and steals and takes a toothpick, there's not going to be a fence left. But initially, he obviously seemed to hold there was no problem with doing meaning it's not stealing he's still not saying it's stealing just you know we can't have society where we're destroying people's fences but it's not stealing so how does that fit with my, what Maimonides said it's biblically prohibited to steal any amount obviously this from Shimon didn't hold that he felt like it was okay he just seems like he's saying something else so, so what they say is you're right everyone um, it's, it's similar to what we said before that everyone agrees technically speaking that there's a biblical prohibition to steal any amount. It means even one paper clip, technically it's theft. If they take one paper clip, it's theft. But, as we said before, if it's understood that people don't care, um, that people are not particular about paper clips, the boss doesn't care if you take paper clips, then you're not stealing. Right? Stealing means only if the person cares. If you know if the person forgives you and says it's okay, you can take it. You know, take home as many sodas as you want for your kids. Take five sodas home for them, it's not stealing house. Right, so again, there's some there's some things it's assumed that the people are not particular about. Okay, so in that case, Maimonides would agree it's not prohibited to steal. It's not stealing. Okay, so again, if you know your boss, even if he never said it, but you know he doesn't mind. He you know he he's a nice guy. He doesn't mind people take paper clips. But that's making an assumption. <laughs> you're right. So no, but there's some maybe things. Maybe the wrong assumption. You're right. So you have to be sure. Meaning, that, but there are some things we're saying. It's it's clear in society. Everyone understands yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, um, but it's not something you care about. I had this actually right before Sukkot. I have to always admit my sins. So, you know, we decorate the sukkah. So my kids came up with this great idea. They read in one of these magazines. You go um, Home Depot or Lowe's, you know, they have these the paint patches. You know, the, those little pieces where the paint colors. Oh, yeah. Palettes. And, and they read a lot. There's this, you know, you can make, basically fold them a certain way. You can make, decorate, not for sukkah, but anything. Make decorations out of them. So they wanted to go to Home Depot and basically take hundreds of us free, right? <laughs> so the question is, does Home Depot really care? Obviously they're made for customers who are going to buy the paint. My kids are coming in and taking 50 pallets. Is that stealing or not? It's less than, it's for sure less than a pruta. They get it free from the company anyway. So there's a big ethical dilemma I had prior to sickness. And? And so what was your response to the you kids? What happened? I'm not going to tell you what I did, but... Um, but it's a, but it's saying that's okay. You no, know, it's meaning does the you no, know, it's meaning you have to ascertain, like you're saying, you have to ascertain does the company care or not. I mean, does so your I, boss you care? You can't or assume. I, 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 think, <coughs> I think Susan's right, and I, I think you said something that you, you use a term that I don't think is correct. Um, is the boss a nice guy? Oh, because oh, yeah. that was yeah. your words. Yes, yes. I, 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 I don't you can be a nice think, guy and still not want people right. to steal from you. We know. That, that's, a, that's a totally irrelevant uh, <clears throat> part of it. 
and even as you presented taking these uh, samples, the company gives it to them, so it doesn't cost them anything. That, that's not true. Everything costs something. Mm -hmm. right. mm -hmm. You may not see the charge, yeah. Yeah. but an assumption that, some, that a company produces something and provides it, that, that's not free. They provide it to them because it's a cost to the company to do it. They buy so much paint, they get this as part of it. They may not see a breakout for that cost, but it's certainly a cost. Mm -hmm. And that's why mm -hmm. you, you prohibit and why taking of anything has oh, not saying, only, even not that, only even direct costs, but it has clear societal costs as well. Yes, yeah, so your, fir your first point is well taken. Nice guy and paper clips are not necessarily. Depend on each other. It's a good point. It's just irrelevant. Uh, okay. It's not a part of the discussion. No, no, but I'm saying it's sometimes, uh, I don't I didn't mean by nice guy, I meant sometimes you, it's a personality thing. You know, you could know someone's personality, and he, you know, he's the type of guy who doesn't mind. You know, it's like your friend in college, your roommate. You know if he, he's the type of guy who minds if you wipe your hands on his towel or not. Right? You know what I'm saying? It's a, it's a personality thing many times. It's not only, it's not only monetary. It's not only monetary involved. Um, meaning, you know, does your neighbor mind when he's not home, he's at work, can you borrow his rake without asking permission? Many times it's a personality thing, not a necessarily nice guy or not. I don't mean, when I meant nice guy, I meant this. certain personalities, you can assume certain things. Certain I, I, I would argue that's an irrelevant distinction and also one that leads to issues as opposed to each time asking for the rake is a better practice. Yeah, maybe yes. Than taking the rake <coughs> and finding out on the yeah, maybe second, yes, and not disagree. Time that he really didn't want you taking the rake in the first place. Well, right, no, the very short is a better <coughs> practice. The question is now: He's at work. He can't get. He's in a meeting. Can I borrow his rake or not? So what we're saying is halacha allows for certain assumptions. You know, this is something you know. No one's particular about. You're right. A rake, maybe not. But I don't know what a better example would be of something that no one cares. You know, you got to borrow something that's not breakable. It's not, <laughs> Uh, you know, but see, at the very least, you'd have to ask that person about the rake the first time. Would you mind if I borrowed your rake? Because, right. you know, I'm too cheap to go buy one or whatever it might be, you know, as a footnote. But, you know, you can't make that assumption. I, I feel differently about that. I, I don't think you can make an assumption that somebody doesn't mind you using there or are taking the property. That you we agree can. with well, me. Explain yeah. a second. It might be easier to make the assumption that he does mind. You know, and like for example, if I, if I know that my neighbor doesn't like it when I borrow his tools without asking, doesn't like it when I take his apples off of his trees, and he doesn't like it when I, you know, snag the newspaper, you know, and then put it back on his, you know, Porsche, then he probably won't like it also when I, when I, you know, when I go, you know, go to whatever it might be, you know, you might be able to make the assumption yes. about yes, his personality, right. about his personality, and oh. say, and say, okay, well, this guy really doesn't like when I do anything. You know, however, if my neighbor is like, the type of guy who comes and borrows my stuff, takes my newspaper, and I'm the type of guy who really doesn't mind because I really enjoy going and borrowing his mower whenever I feel like it. When we have that relationship, then maybe, you know, that's... So you like, I make so, those kind of assumptions so. about my boss as well, right? Like, my boss, you know, likes to, likes to chit-chat for a half hour every other day. You know, is that stealing company time? Yeah. He's the boss. He's the, that's right. He's he well, takes the he lead. He has the boss too, right? Well, he has. The, he takes the lead, you know. Yeah. And then you're just you following. And you borrow your neighbor's lawnmower. You borrow his dog. You borrow his wife. <laughs> yeah. Where do you draw away? No. So again, it's the Some people don't mind. You need it. It's a personality. Some people don't mind that either. But, but you're right. It's a good point. No. So you're right. First of all, borrowing, by the way, really doesn't fit under this question. We're talking about stealing. 
you know, you're actually using it. Borrowing is a whole different question. Borrowing without permission. But what I'm saying is there are certain things assumption. For example, I'll give you an example that Allah says um, about borrowing. Allah says for a mitzvah, let's say you come to shul and you don't have your talit. Mm-hmm. Okay, and this other guy's talit is there. It says the Talmud, you don't have to ask permission. Everything else, you have to ask permission. But borrowing something, the assumption is there's no loss to the other person and he's getting a merit, so to speak, because you're doing a mitzvah with his item. Then the Talmud said the, the halacha, according to Jewish law, you're allowed to borrow. And that legally, obviously. But according to Jewish law, the assumption, because again, it's an assumption. He wants to get the merit. So, you know, listen, you're gonna, he's not in shul anyway today. He's away. He's not coming to services today. You're going to use his talit. He's, you know, he'll get some more brownie points. Why not? So there's certain contexts where you can make an assumption. The person won't mind. At least, again, in, in halacha. The example, like one example I'm saying is mitzvah. It says if you're doing a mitzvah with this item, again, if it's something like a book where it's going to get, could get rubbed out, or, you know, torn, so then there's no such assumption. But if it's something that can't, the assumption is its use won't ruin it, so then the Talmud says you're allowed to borrow without permission for the sake of mitzvah. Um, but now you're right, other cases not. So there is, there is well, all I'm showing is there are certain times, there are assumptions. I think, again, you know, depends on the company, depends on how big the company is or it's a mom and pop, but many in certain places it's understood, you know, taking one little, let's say you work in a, I mean, many many food establishments have that rule with their employees. You're allowed to eat, you know, a certain thing. You're allowed to take a drink from the refrigerator. Right? If you work in a restaurant, the employee waiters can, you know, at certain points they might put a limit on it. You know, you can only take up to six drinks a day or... But, so, but again, Rabbi, you said the magic words. They have rules, mm-hmm. so rules suggest that, that it's it's clear and explicit, as opposed to the employee making an assumption or mm-hmm. your neighbor making no, an no, assumption. No. So again, no, you're right. So I, 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 I what I meant was there are certain. I think it's obvious. Let's say you work in the back of a bakery, that the employees. I mean, now there's all these health code laws which cause problems. I mean, now the employees can't touch the food. You know, how to eat. But I'm saying. Problems. Yes, <laughs> but uh, but the point is, there are, was, I think, let's say, the old days, before all the laws, you know, it was just assumed, you you work in the back of a restaurant, you're going to be knipping on the food. You know, when I did, when I worked in a restaurant, that's what I did, right, that's part of the, you don't, you don't have to ask. It's assumed that you're, you know, you're going to Again, I think lick your fingers, you, you, you it's not stealing. That, example, that is a, a bad behavior, one that should, you know, Today, should be expli- explicit or implicit. Because if you're using your fork to to dip well, in the you soup, said anything about a fork or a spoon, you said anything or, about or a your, fork. Hands, uh, <laughs> your hands, you know, it, it, okay, it, no, it you're right. It's, yeah, so it may be a not 20 years ago. Today it is, but 20 years ago it wasn't. Then it was just wrong. We're talking about being every little thing, but I know in tax this thing we call the minute doesn't really matter. We talk about what you're talking about the the paper, the the swatches. Home Depot doesn't own it. It's owned by the, product, the company that that that, that makes the paint. So if you were to say to your son, the daughter, go over and ask them, you can take some. It it's still not doesn't work anyway wow. because it's coming from the company. Mm-hmm. And would, I mean, how far do you go to say is it the right thing to do? I mean, they know it's being given out, and they built into the cost. And the restaurant issue, I work with a lot of restaurants. If you, mm-hmm. the more you cram down, you cram down, you can't do, you can't do, you can't do. No one's going to be there. So that's the limit of what you say. What's real? I mean, what? I mean, my assistant, my other assistant came in and said, "Can I take some paper clips?" Like, Don't bother me. I mean, it's like it's too small to worry about. I think that's where we have to draw the line. I mean, right. So I, that's just, 
it's built in. We have to build that into life that things like this happen. So what are you saying? Are you permitting the swatches or are you not? Yeah. You're saying but it's permitted. Well, let's go back to the swatches. Mm-hmm. What a much better example if, if it's, quote, built in mm-hmm. for the rabbi to have told his children, you know what? Go ask the clerk if you can take mm-hmm. those. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, what a simple thing. Mm-hmm. What a simple thing to, no, have, I agree. to have instructed I agree. your children. That's right. No, Just I, you I, ask as first. As a base matter. That's right. And for you as an employer, mm-hmm. you know, don't know the size of the shop, uh-huh. but to have an explicit policy. Mm-hmm. You know, if you need some some goods for your kids, mm-hmm. up, up to $25 a month, help yourself. Mm-hmm. But I think you can have the rule in place that says don't take it right. and still build it into your cost knowing that people will. The right. rule is no, don't the take question it, is, but people Are the people that are taking it, are they stealing or not? That's really yes. the question. So if you're taking something that is That's right, that's without, permission, without permission. Without <laughs> permission. That is it. literally the I think they are stealing, but is it, is it, is it big enough to worry about? Right. To me, it's the minimum. Well, but, uh, but, no, but see, that's I think that's the whole societal issue. So, right. I, um, mm-hmm. I used to have I have a friend who would go to uh, La Madeleine mm-hmm. and bring his own tea bags and use their hot water. Mm-hmm. Okay. The hot water was there. Mm-hmm. My view. Or the speak. bread. There's bread and butter and jelly. They're free too. He's well. The that's, home that's, home. that's set out for you. Right. That's a that is set out. But you bought nothing. But you bought right. nothing. He so he was cheating them of a dollar ninety eight. All in all, that that right. that contributes to a society that mm-hmm. that doesn't function properly. When you have a cash society, when people don't pay taxes, when they mm-hmm. cheat. I agree. So that's exactly what we're that. saying. Exactly. Meaning, yeah. it's not formal theft. It's not but legal theft. if you theft. there, would you yeah. have gone to him and say, yeah. I mean, my question you is, leave, you if you come in, here. let's say like Mallory's saying, if you come in and have, you bring your tea bag and you have your bread and butter and jelly, whatever they have, the and you walk out, can the guy call the cops? And, no, technically he can. He put that out for free. I don't no, think he can. <coughs> well, if, if everybody did, though, yeah, if everyone did, then they'd have to change their business. The whole thing would be right. No, right. No, I, do, right. I do believe huh? that that is. Well, that's I think exactly you can. They don't, yeah. but you can. There is a there is theft of services and there is theft of materials, and I think when and restaurants in, have a thing where you can't bring in you can't bring in outside their own food. Well, kosher restaurants for sure. We don't. Yeah. I think if you take up the space too long, that's I feel like Starbucks thing. They've been too much of a the Starbucks. Space. They, 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 you buy one coffee and sit for six hours. Yeah, but that's part of I go in and I do interviews at Starbucks, and I don't buy anything. Mm-hmm. We are scheduled to do interviews there, and I do an interview for an hour or two hours, and I don't buy anything, that, and I take up a table. You know, but I, but I'm, on that note, like, I, might, I might try to start a new business, and I don't, I'm not selling a lot of products, so just to get people inside my, you know, inside my, you know, uh, establishment, I'm going to, like, give them free Wi-Fi. I don't care if they buy anything. If the place looks busy, you know, then other people are going to come in. So, I mean, you can have that bo- you can have that business model, too, right? I mean, yes, you might have that. I told you, spoke about that. You're already giving permission. No, Starbucks wants you to sit there, I think, because eventually you're going to buy something. Most people sitting there are going to buy something. And you've given them She has amazing self-control. You didn't say, here's Wi-Fi, but if you give it, and then they stole it, You've given it to them for he's, free. He's already given permission. I can tell you this. Right. Permission was is a, there. There was a so legal case, actually. Right. Exactly. There was a discrimination case because Orthodox dating, that's many dates. That's how much you could do on Orthodox date. Right? <laughs> so so the, they would go, they, most guys, yeshiva guys, what they do is they go to hotel lounges mm-hmm. where the drinks, you know, it's like $7 for, uh, you know, they don't, they don't drink hard liquor. So they're ordering like a Sprite 
and they sit there, it's a five hour day, you just sitting, sit and talk in the lounge. And they're just hogging up in Manhattan, it's prime territory, you know, midtown, you're taking two spots where they're, it's really a restaurant, they serve food, and, and you're having a Sprite for six hours, you're sitting and talking to this woman, they both have a Sprite and a piece of lemon, one drink for six hours. And so there was a, a one hotel in the city, of course it was owned by Israelis, that uh, anytime anyone, Yeshiva guy would show up at the door, the bouncer would say we're full. <laughs> and an employee, a friend of mine, this happened to a friend of mine, he, he was leaving, he was walking down the block with his date, and, uh, and someone, an employee from the hotel came running after it, said, a woman, said that, by the way, this is our policy, they see anyone with a kippah, they tell them, they say we're full. Yeah. And he went, and he, it, was, it was actually a lawsuit, the uh, ADR. Okay, but that's different from the stealing of the water. No, okay, I'm saying, but it's, no, but it's at least he's saying he's taking the space. You're, you're taking, listen, I don't blame them. I, if I had a restaurant, I wouldn't want them there. They're there for six hours on one Sprite, so? on a 250 Sprite, when they could be, when a drink costs mm-hmm. 12 bucks. That's the ups and downs of owning a restaurant, I think. <laughs> Not everyone's going to buy, you know, you 10 bottles of wine. You have a minimum order. Like minimum right. Right. We could do that. Places do that. Mm-hmm. Right. But they don't. So if they don't, I don't have a problem. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, so so just to finish here. So so yeah, if you look at number nine, it says it is a biblical prohibition to steal even the smallest amount. Nevertheless, so the the answer they're giving, meaning the seeming contradiction here between number eight and number seven. Um, number seven again, my man, he says it's biblical prohibited to steal any amount, and Rabbi Shimon seems to not to be concerned. It's not really stealing. So the, that's what they answer, that the biblical prohibition to steal even the smallest amount. Nevertheless, some commentators wrote that this only applies to an amount that people are particular about. Again, which is the question here, what, wh- is there an amount that people are not particular? However, to take a splinter from a bundle or from a fence in order to pick one's teeth is permitted, since nobody minds if such a small amount is taken. And even this, the Jerusalem Talmud prohibits as a matter of piety, so meaning technically it's not stealing, because again, the person doesn't really care if you take a little splinter off their fence. But because if everyone will do it, there won't be a fence left, so therefore he retracted his, his student and told him not to do it. But legally, he's saying there was really nothing wrong. But isn't that um, giving reason for why stealing even a pruta is wrong? I thought that's what we, it was saying. Here's the so reason why even stealing a tiny bit is wrong. So it could be, yes. According to some, maybe that would, that's what they would say. The reason, the meaning, that's what we said, the reason for why the flood happened is because they were doing something that legally might have been okay, but but at the end of the day, you're, you're somebody you're taking society based Exactly. Okay. So, so you are right. So just um, so one of the um, differences, so what's the practical difference between these two, um, these two uh, understandings, as we're saying? Because, um, the, the, again, there's, a, there's, a, there's an obligation to return an item that you stole. Okay, so now let's say I, I stole a paper clip in the office, and then now the question is, if it's truly stealing, so that means I have an obligation, a biblical obligation, to return it. That's the verse in Leviticus I quote here. Number one, it says, It shall be when he has sinned and he is guilty, that he shall return the article which he had robbed, or the funds which he had withheld, the item which had been deposited with him, or the article which he had found. So the Torah, again, there's a, besides the prohibition of theft, you now have a positive obligation. It's called, in, in Talmudic terms, you call it lav hanitak lase. That means a negative prohibition which can be fixed with a positive prohibition. I mean, you can fit. You stole. There's a way to rectify your stealing. You return what you stole. Again, obviously, uh, there's appeasement. You have to, besides the monetary rectification, you have to, the person has to forgive you. But technically, stealing is a is a violation which can be rectified. Right? Bernie Madoff, he stole a lot of money, If assuming they get it all back, which they're on their way to do. Meant much of it. So, I mean, listen, he's a... 
lousy thief and he ruined people's lives, but you can rectify it again if you return the money in a certain sense, at least monetarily, you can rectify stealing. That's what the Torah says, and it's an obligation. So again, we said there's two ways of looking at it. Is it, so now the question is, they say, there's no obligation to return less than a pruta. That means if I just stole paperclip, do I have to come into the office the next day and give my boss a check for point oh, you know, five cents, mm-hmm. right? Um, or not. <coughs> Again, we're saying if it's considered stealing paperclip, you'd have to do that. Biblically, you're obligated to return at least the amount, the monetary amount, so the value. So again, there's two reasons given as to why it, you don't have to return less than a pruta. Okay, what's the reason? Number one is the Chinuch says, stolen object is worth less, worth less than a pruta. Its value is so insignificant that the owner is assumed to have forgiven its repayment. Okay, so you know, if you come into your boss and you write, and write him a check for the, for the paperclip, he's going to say, no, you know, don't be ridiculous. Even though he might have had a problem with the begin with. But most bosses, I'm assuming, are going to say, no, it's okay, you don't have to write me the check. Okay, if you stole a stapler, on the other hand, it's something else. So you effectively releases the thief from having to return it. <coughs> so no, it's, it's called mechila. That means he's, mechila means forgiveness. He's forgiven you for the amount you stole. He's stealing. When you took the paperclip, you stole. But, the, but again, the, uh, it's an assumption again, that he, he forgives you for stealing such a minute amount. That's reason A. And therefore you don't have an obligation to return. Reason B is, is a standard exemption related to measurements, as we're saying. Stolen goods that are worth less than a pruta, the minimal threshold of value, are simply below the minimal threshold of the mitzvah. Meaning this mitzvah, as we're saying, all mitzvahs, as we mentioned before, eating matzah, eating pork, have a minimal, th- minimal thresh- threshold. So the minimal threshold for this mitzvah of returning a stolen object, if it's less than a pruta, it doesn't meet that minimal threshold. It's just a technical rule. It's like the IRS makes a rule, you know, X amount, you don't have to pay taxes on it, whatever the case is. But it's not, but technically you stole. It's just the obligation to return the stolen object is not applicable there. So again, is it that the person forgave you? Meaning, in both cases, you might have stolen, but the question is, did, do we assume the person forgave you and therefore you don't have to return it? Or is it because it doesn't reach the minimal threshold? Now, the practical differences, just quickly here, and I came up with a few practical differences that I saw. One is where a case where the boss tells you, no, I want you to pay me back for those paper clips you stole. Okay, so according to the first reasoning, so he didn't forgive you in that case, so you still have, you'd have an obligation to pay back. According to the second reasoning, according to the Maimonides, B is it doesn't meet the minimal threshold. You have no obligation to return it. Even if the boss says, I want it back, you don't have an obligation to return it. Because again, the, the obligation to return a stolen object has a minimal threshold. Okay, so that would be one practical difference. A case where you have a mean boss, or, sorry, you have a boss whose personality <laughs> insists on getting back his paper clips. So, um, so that's, that's one case. Another practical difference would be uh, a minor. A minor cannot forgive. So let's say you stole a paperclip from a minor. Okay, or something. So in Jewish law, at least, a minor doesn't have the ability to forgive. You need to have what's called a, a you have to be a, a, an adult, so to speak, in, in same, of same mind. So someone who's a minor, a minor in Jewish law is under the age of Barabat Mitzvah. So can't forgive. So again, you have an obligation to give, to give that paperclip according to reason A. Another thing is, is does the item become the thief? Meaning, if we're saying you stole a paperclip and the boss forgives you for stealing it, that means now you own it legally. If, someone, if you steal something from someone and now he forgives you, that means you own that item. Okay? He says it's yours. It's okay. You don't have to return it. Um, 
But according to the second thing is no, you don't own it, meaning I stole it. I don't have an obligation to return it because it's below the minimum threshold. But it still belongs to the original owner. Because he didn't forgive you. You just don't have an obligation to return it. So according to that, there's there, there'll be a lot of practical differences, meaning let's say the value of the item now goes up. So it's a item dependent on the market value. And the market value of that item went up. So let's say, I don't know, I stole a Rolex watch. That's a bad example. It's not under a pruta. Something that's under a pruta, and then now the value, the market value goes up, but now over a pruta. A month later, and I want to return it, it's now over a pruta. So if you say the guy forgave you, so it doesn't make a difference that the market value went up because uh, he forgave you for stealing this item. Now it belongs to you, so now if it went up in price, it still belongs to me. The fact that it's now over a pruta, I still don't have to return it. But if you go according to the Maimonides' opinion, which is that We'll just, there's a legal exemption. You don't return anything less than this <coughs> threshold of a pruta. So now if it went up in market value, now and it still belongs to the owner, the original owner, he never forgave you, so now it went up in value, so you have to give it back now, at this point. Understand the practical difference? Okay, so some of the... At uh, the end of the day, don't take paper clips. Or let your children take swatches. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you let them take the swatches? I didn't say I let. Yes, my my wife took them to the store. It wasn't me. It was my wife. So your wife let them. We just rolled her up. I know. <laughs> she didn't know. I never. I didn't tell her about this law. I, I, hadn't, I hadn't prepared this class yet, so I had. I didn't really know the, the law. No, but at the end of the day, you find out first if you can take stuff. That's you know you save yourself a lot of trouble if you just find out. Mm -hmm. Ask once in general or you have been listening to the mp3 project from the jewish ethic institute for a complete selection of our lectures please visit our website at j-ethics.org shalom